I'm Dapper Dan Gavazdan, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, which definitely count. And I am mischievous Mark Chinacchio, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals. But Dan, as I've said many, many times before on this show and on Twitter and on Instagram and I mean, pretty much everywhere at this point, those annuals, they just don't count. Are you excited about the Hollows Eve annual that we're getting uh, coming soon? Uh, I, I I'm actually am because because it seems to be tied into the actual storyline. I mean, that we're I, getting. I mean, I I'm enjoying how when, is that, that's not coming out this week, is it? Because I don't think I asked. To no, pull no, it yet. we got a little bit. <laughs> all right, all right. No, I, well, you're Mr. Solicitation, so I didn't even know uh, there was an annual coming. But I mean, you know, hey, like that's exciting. I guess if you if you collect Hollows Eve. There's your fourth comic there. So, you know, it counts. Okay. Uh, Hollow's Eve, a strangely good book, surprisingly enough. Anyway, uh, welcome to the Amazing Spider Talk, the show where two fans and collectors uncover the strange, fun, and fascinating history of the Spider-Man comics universe, including the annuals. Thanks for joining us for this review episode of The Amazing Spider Talk. If you want to swing along with us on our journey through Spidey's past, present, and future, subscribe to Amazing Spider Talk on your favorite podcast app. And of course, leave us a review to help spread the word about our show. This podcast exists because of the support of our Patreon members. If you want to receive early episodes, exclusive artwork, and keep this podcast going, go to AmazingSpiderTalk.com. You'll see a big banner for the Patreon where all of our episodes of season six are going up several weeks early, including interviews with some of our favorite Spider-Man creators. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge. Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends are over there on the Patreon. But today on the show, Mark and I are going to be discussing Amazing Spider-Man Volume 6, Number 26, the culmination of this dead language arc. This issue was written by Zeb Wells. The cover pencils and interior pencils are by John Romita Jr. with inks by Scott Hanna. Colors by both Marcia Menez and Eric Arseniega. And of course, letters by VC's Joe Caramagna. The issue was first released on May 31st, 2023. Mark, why don't you give us a recap of this fairly controversial issue? Controversial. Oh, man. I, 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 I hope my recap can live up to the controversy. Okay. <laughs> well, we open nine months ago, probably, and longstanding Amazing Spider-Man supporting cast member Kamala Khan is applying for a job at Oscorp. She's willing to do whatever it takes to do this job, despite a lack of experience, and what upstanding corporation can turn down an applicant like that. 
Now we're back in New York City, the present day, and the emissary is attacking in a tornado. The Gold Goblin and, of course, great supporting cast member Miss Marvel swing into action. Rabin is the Black Road, the Vessel of Wyatt, and the God of Death. This is some serious ad-lib supervillain stuff, folks. Spider-Man says angrily, You ruined my life, Rabin! And while the way those Kairamanga letters look, it's probably not a good time to argue with them, but I might challenge that a little bit, that it's a little more complicated than that, Peter, but we'll save that for the review. Anyway, Rabin has now turned his focus to the red one, and it looks like we're going to get an entire issue dedicated to protecting Mary Jane. The Goblin, Miss Marvel, and Spider-Man knock Rabin around a little bit, but he's got the power of symbology, baby. And with that comes a dragon. And really, if ignoring eight seasons of Game of Thrones has taught me anything, it's that dragon's rule. Now, Mark, that dragon has a name, and it's deeply connected to Mexican folklore. I've written it in the notes, and uh, you know, given your history of pronunciation, I'm dying to hear you pronounce it. This is a cold read, folks. <laughs> I was not prepared for this. Quetzalcoatl. Uh, I, I just did Fair Italian. Fair enough. I, for, for those I, who I, can't see, who can't see me, I did Italian fingers at the end of it. So, <laughs> yes, exactly. The great Italian name Quetzalcoatl. Uh, but okay. anyway, uh, there we go, Mark. I wanted to hear that. So anyway, back to your recap. Okay, so Gold Goblin goes to deal with Quetzalcoatl while Rabin starts taunting MJ about her precious Paul and their children not being of this world. Which brings us to a flashback. Peter confronts Paul, and that's even his, his real name, about this lineage. And we learn that Paul's last name is actually Rabin, which causes Peter to call him a murderer and a monster before Paul punches Peter so hard, his hoodie changes from red to blue. Symbology, baby! So we learn that Rabin, the emissary, is Paul's father. And while Paul helped him for a bit, once he realized his dad liked to end worlds and stuff, he stopped him and then talked about following MJ to Earth 616. Peter is surprised, but then acts like this is something he, sh you know, somebody should have fessed up to him earlier and to MJ. And MJ is like, well, yeah, he did, but I wasn't allowed to say anything because then it would ruin the mystery box. <laughs> Duh. So Rabin waxes poetic some more about the other things that don't belong. The bindings he created for MJ and Paul. Yes, folks, he's talking about the children. And just like that, we get some Hocus Pocus and Cousin Oliver and Chrissy Seaver disappear into thin air, and Paul seems mildly annoyed by it all. MJ, however, seems a little more pissed, and she unleashes some of more of those superpowers she seemed to get in Rabin's dimensions and wants the bad guy all for him for herself. Peter wants her to be smart about it, which brings a one-liner from Ben Grimm and the rest of the Fantastic Four for some additional backup. So Spider-Man and the F4 bury the hatchet, but lose eyes on Mary Jane, who's off to face Rabin. That doesn't go so hot, but fortunately, Miss Marvel, who has been an integral part of the story every step of the way, is there to protect her friend, even clarifying with MJ if she can call her friend. They're just so damn close. So now, Miss Marvel is charged with protecting MJ, while Spider-Man and everyone else go to deal with all the other chaos being unleashed. This plot wasn't taken from literally every horror movie ever made, correct? So fisticuffs ensue, and Spider-Man uses a Peter parking meter to whack away, but Rabin then disappears into thin air, only to reappear in front of Miss Marvel and MJ. Meanwhile, the Fantastic Four and Norman Osborn scorch some symbology onto the dragon, and unlike the cuck joke's last recap, I won't make another symbology baby joke, okay? I just won't. I... oh, anyway. 
Anyway, uh, back to Miss Marvel and MJ and Rabin. Stuff is happening, and Miss Marvel talks about a promise she made to Mary Jane's boyfriend, Spider-Man, prompting MJ to remind the world and to enrage a bunch of fans that Spider-Man is not her boyfriend, lest Joe Casada appears out of thin air and banishes Zeb Wells to Substack like he did his predecessor when he attempted to pair off the two. Anywho, Miss Marvel has the brilliant idea of splitting up the team, telling MJ to not stop running despite the fact that they're facing off against a magical villain who can just disappear and reappear at will. And of course, Rabin appears behind MJ with his blade of decay and stabs her clean through. The internet was right. Mary Jane is dead. Long live Mary Jane Watson, who was never Mary Jane Parker. Peter, of course, runs to MJ, but something weird is going on with Rabin as he doesn't seem to be ascending into the kingdom of Wyatt, but instead seems to be evaporating. And yes, folks, because I have been on Twitter the past few years, we learned that MJ was actually longtime Amazing Spider-Man supporting cast stalwart Miss Marvel appearing as MJ to trick Rabin and sacrificing herself to the friend that she has been interacting with and developing real meaningful relationships with since her first appearance in 2014. And we've always been at war with Eurasia. Kamala asks if she did good for good measure, her catchphrase, and yes, the fact that she gave up her life for Peter's not girlfriend means she did so good, great even. Miss Marvel died a hero. Norman Osborn said as much, MJ and Paul's kids, well, for whatever reason, no one will just say the words, the kids are dead, but they're dead too, or gone, or never were. It's hard to keep up. We get a mournful scene of tears and hugs. And next issue, Dr. Octopus Kids, see you in two weeks. All right, looking forward to it, looking forward to it. Okay, well, here's here's the funny thing. I think we got to address the Miss Marvel thing head on because it's it's really dominated the internet and all discussion around this book. And it's funny, it's important to note the leak came hours after we recorded our last episode, which like aged like the worst wine. It just immediately became out of date as you and I speculated on who would be dying in, in the next issue. I will say it has appeared since that time that the leak seems to have been like deeply internal um, whether that means from Marvel directly or, you know, uh, the person, the people that print the book, it seems to have been from within Marvel itself, which uh, I would say doesn't bode well for the teams that are working on this title. I, I haven't seen any sudden vacancies at Marvel. I don't, I don't want to ascribe any motives, but it does seem like this came from someone deeply unhappy with the decision made in this book. And they decided to, and if you're listening to this years from now, like, I don't think we've ever gotten a leak two weeks before a book's come out of a detail this big. And it forced Marvel's hand. They had to release the information to, you know, Entertainment Weekly and and all of these places. And suddenly their big surprise for this issue was all over the Internet for everybody to comment on. For, for good and bad, there's been a lot of great writing about this and a lot of really bad writing about this. And I honestly have been reluctant to wade in because some of the issues here I feel like are outside of my realm of knowledge to fully comment on as some, you know, I, I'll just say it as a white male, you know, me complaining about like a female Muslim character getting killed off in the book doesn't have quite the same meaning to me as it as it might others. And, and maybe inherently that's where the problem lies is that 
the all white male staff of, of this book did not realize how problematic that might be. So anyway, Mark, what, what, uh, what was your experience of kind of discovering this leak and, and your kind of reaction to it? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's funny. You, um, you actually gave me a heads up because you were like, you know, FYI, uh, stay off of Twitter. There, there's spoilers already for 26. And I was just like, I mean, I, I think I even said to you, like, there's no way I'm making two weeks. Just tell me what happened. And then like, you know, you texted me, but whatever, within minutes of your text, I saw it anyway. So it was just like, okay, there was no avoiding it. Uh, there's been a couple people in our Slack who have managed to avoid it, I think, but like, that's a Herculean effort. Uh, there was no way to avoid this. I would just say like, I mean, first in terms of the theorizing, Again, we, we we have no insider knowledge or anything like that, but it definitely, you know, the way it went about and the and how it went about, it definitely feels like an inside, you know, the calls from inside the house kind of a job here. I think what surprised me most about it was like Marvel, like once it was out, like Marvel didn't even like, you know, Nick Lowe or any other folks from Marvel were even kind of pretending to ignore its existence, which leads me to believe even more that it was inside the house. You know what I mean? Like, like, like someone close to inside that, like, like up to the to editorial or something. And they were like, all right, well, you know, they're going to have to deal with that personnel issue on their own. But like, they're like, okay, we just have to address this because, you know, I, it almost made me think like, did they just not deny it at all and just went right, you know, like leaned right into it because they realized like, that maybe there were people upset about it, you know, internally. I don't know. We'll find, I mean, like, it is worth noting that, Miss Marvel, you know, Kamal Khan's character was was created through the Spider Office initially. I think it was it was, you know, through Wacker's office when when that book first came out. I do want to say, like, no matter how you feel about this story, I, I like personally, I, I don't condone leaking. I don't think that this was a good practice. I don't think I mean, I think it destroys the integrity of like the, the quote unquote surprise or the storytelling process. It's not how I wanted to find out about this. I would have loved the opportunity to read this on the page to really, you know, track my reaction to it in real time, which is something I will never be able to do for good or ill. Like I may have hated this just as much as I honestly don't like it now, but it doesn't mean that that's how I wanted to, discover it but even i started talking about it because there was no way to avoid it and if i spoiled it for anybody who listened i apologize but there was a certain point where i just kind of was like the tea has been spilled you know like i'm not i'm not getting it back you know and it felt important to comment on so i just wanted to say that i i think leaks are an ugly thing that doesn't really do anybody any good and really hurts the creative team no matter how you feel about them, you might hate them. I, I just don't think it's right to do. Yeah. But I mean, I think the fact that this is by all look and feel is like very inside the house of ideas makes like, I mean, like, I think it's even deeper than just like people leaking because, you know, like, you know, fans or retailers or something because they're pissed off. Like, like that, that, that's, that's a systemic problem within Marvel. And, you know, we've been seeing a lot of, you know, including people that I just referred to from the spider office, some stuff coming out about them on a personal level. And there just might be some very deep set 
personnel issues going and personal relationship issues going on within Marvel that I don't want to get into here. But like the point being is, yes, this there's leak culture. Leaks are terrible. But like I think this runs might be running even deeper than that is, is all I'm trying to say. Oh, and, yeah, totally. And until we have the full information, I don't feel comfortable uh, talking about stuff like that. But th- there. Yeah, there there have been some other things that have quietly kind of come out about spider offices past and present that true true or not i think are worth talking about but i i i do want to wait for more information so let but let's just talk about this thing on the page itself i mean there's a lot of heated language that's been thrown around about this you know you and i are always you know we like to talk about the stuff around the art too but we you know i think a lot of our stuff has to really come back to like what is actually on the page and how does that make us feel? So um, tell me about your journey uh, with this. I, I was annoyed about this both in the lead up and then in actually reading about it on two fronts. Like the 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 person reading the dead language arc person who has been generally a fan of this storyline for the most part. I mean, the last issue was starting to teeter towards like mid-level grade kind of stuff. But like, I, for the most part, thought this was a great story and that this was doing really interesting things with the character. And, you know, what I thought kind of going into it and what I think became realized in reading it was that pivoting to Kamala Khan and and trying to craft her journey into this storyline so that she could die a quote unquote hero's death was going to take away from the other storyline that was going on revolving around Peter and MJ and Paul and the kids and Rabine. And and it did. I I mean, like, even though she was part of the battle, like, I mean, the fact that, you know, the very first page is Kamala Khan interviewing for the job at Oscorp. Like, you know, I I, I, I was being snarky about it in in the the recap. But the fact of the matter is like, yes, she's had a very minor role in this storyline this whole time. But like, if we were truly building to this moment and this moment for, you know, for this specific character, like she should have been integrated not only just in the last six issues more prominently, but in the entire run, like she, she has been literally like in the background, you know, like peering in a panel here and there. And like, you know, like there, there, there was no arc here. They tried to uh, insert an arc for a character, uh, uh, you know, where she dies into a single issue where there was already an arc going on that had nothing to do with her. It's just, you know, so like to me, it, it brought down, the entire storyline and 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 derailed it. So like that as a Spider-Man fan and as a fan of this arc annoyed me, you know, without question. You know, in terms of the deeper implications, like, you know, I, I'm of two minds of this. I mean, like, I think killing off characters like this, and I, when I mean like this, I mean like the tactic of like kind of doing these, like, let's, like, Let's put aside Kamala Khan's gender and and religion and culture for one second. Like the other facts, Wh- which is a lot to put aside. No, I know, but I, but I but I but I'm following you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like like the other thing that's going on right now is you know she you know is not, doesn't she doesn't have a book right now, right? I'm not mistaken in that. Like does she have? She hasn't had a book in about three years. Yeah, yeah she she doesn't have a book, and yet you know she was on a Disney Plus series last year where they completely changed her power set and her origins from inhuman to mutant. And we know 
from the trailer we got a few months ago that she's going to be an integral part of a new Marvel movie, The Marvels, that comes out in November. And, you know, we're going to get the, the, the death of Kamala Khan one-off or miniseries or who knows what. Is it a miniseries or one-off? I don't even know. Is it uh, whatever? Yeah, we're gonna... I believe I believe it's a mini, uh, like a, uh, it might be a one-off, but then there's like a, a yet-to-be-revealed miniseries. I think it's like called like Project like Reborn or something like that. So it's like it's we're going to get a mini series, uh, uh, you know, of this. Uh, it's important to note that that book is called Fallen Friend. It, she doesn't even get her name in the title. And if you look at the book, it she's in the deep background on the cover, you know, uh, other problematic stuff. Anyway, keep going, Mark. But the thing is, like, it's 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 very clear to me that not just Marvel, but, but both com- both of the big two do this, that, you know, we are th- that they are trying to align the comics universe with outside media to juice, you know, juice sales and get attention and get a get a get a brand campaign going. So where is this all headed? They, they, they killed off Kamala Khan so that they could bring her back in some way, probably rejigger her powers, rejigger her origins a little bit and and have a new series come out just in time for the Marvel's movie so that, you know, all the the little girls and 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 not just little girls, but anyone who's going to see the movie and gets out of the, you know, because millions of people see the movies and less than 100,000 people will buy a popular comic book. But but if they can just get one point five percent of those moviegoers that go into a comic book store <laughs> and pick up a book, then it, it's a bestseller. But that's the thing. You know what I mean? Like it, it's, it, it's a bestseller if you could do that. And that is to me, just that, wait till all those little boys and girls go and pick up an issue where Kamala is reborn on Krakoa and try to explain that. But anyway, keep but, going. But yeah, but that's the thing. It's so like, it's a deeply cynical, just putting aside the other elements that I think are worth looking into but because of the deep the deep cynicism and the other motivations behind it like this idea that Zeb Wells or Nick Lowe or or the people who made this decision are quote unquote racist I don't I don't buy that like I don't think you know if I look at what what the intent the intent is marketing making money off of books and and creating attention in the way they have done for characters white and male and other i just feel that way and and like like but are are there things about the way they did this that are for racial reasons for gender reasons deeply problematic and insensitive 100% but like i i am just not going to sit there and call someone a racist over this like i i i think we should talk about what is problematic and why it's problematic even as two white straight white males here dan but like Using the racism word as like the the why to to castigate this out is 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 I think you have to look at the intent here and I just like I don't think that this was done to we need to kill off we need to kill off a female minority character during you know Asian Pacific Heritage Month. Well, here we go. We got it. You know, like it's it's that's not what's happening here. In my opinion, I I you know like and and I'm willing to stand by that. I, I just am. I wouldn't call this racist with a capital R. I think I think it is racist by like lack of consideration, you know, and and I and I think if anything that comes out of this, I think Marvel really needs to look into how they handle DEI issues and who is staffing 
their books, you know, if it is something that they care about. And they suggest they care about it by the creation of a character like Miss Marvel, you know? And so you don't get to like celebrate having the first Muslim superhero, you know, it's just good that it happened in general, but they definitely make made hay out of it to try to get attention, but then not support that with not only allowing her to have a series that's constantly happening, you know, like if any character deserved a series regardless of book sales and the book sales on her books are reportedly very good. It would be Miss Marvel. You know, like I think the solid and Ahmed run maybe didn't sell terribly well, but like she deserves an endless number of at bats, you know? Uh, So it is incredibly odd that we've not gotten a series led by her enough that an event like this has to happen in amazing Spider-Man. And, you know, in their mind, I can see them saying to themselves, look, Amazing Spider-Man is our best-selling book. She will never have a bigger platform for something like this than in this book. But then do something actually interesting with her. If you, you know, if it has to be that she dies to, in order to create that synergy or rebirth her on Krakoa to make her a mutant now, then, you know, fine. I don't love it. But then really make it about her. You know, we got a couple of tie-ins like, but we've got enough B title books that don't need to exist in the Spider-Man office that we couldn't give one to Kamala. If you're going to do an action like this, like, you know, I, 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 it just doesn't make sense to me. You know, you talk about the practice of killing these people off, right? We got a death of Dr. Strange before his return for multiverse of madness but it was a book called Do- Death of Doctor Strange. You know, it wasn't um, it wasn't Amazing Spider-Man, which I think cuts both ways, right? Like it, it's insulting to the character and it diminishes Spider-Man from being its own thing. It's a great article on AIPT uh, by this writer, Leah Williamson, that's entitled Amazing Spider-Man 26 Proves Comics Haven't Come Very Far Since Alex DeWitt's Fridging. And it really gets into the history of fridging, what that term means and how it applies to this comic. Uh, You know, it says it better than I could ever say it, even if I disagree with some of its characterizations of creatives in there, specifically Jerry Conway. But I think it addresses the topic better than I could ever hope to. I will note, though, I think AIPT as a publication tries to play this both ways You'll remember they're the ones that leaked the pages for Amazing Spider-Man 21 without context and I think really contributed to this kind of toxic online culture that books like Amazing Spider-Man exist in, only for them to critique it moments later. I think they should do better. I don't think that's Leah Williamson, the writer's fault, who wrote that great article. But I, you know, if I'm going to praise AIPT for hosting that article, I also will tell them to do better on their end than throwing uh, creators, you know, as red meat for Twitter fodder, which gets to like Zeb Wells. I don't know whose idea this was, but if I'm just to look at it at face value, this seems to me the most like nakedly obvious editorial insert since one more day, you know, like I I, I can't think of something in a Spider-Man book that like, just screams of editorial intervention as much as this maybe the end of Nick Spencer's run. Although like, 
we don't have a lot of information about that and, and reports suggest that's how Nick Spencer wanted to get to go. I guess we have interviews with Zeb Wells with him saying like that he was really excited for people to read issue 26 and like, you know, a writer has got to promote his own stuff. Like he, he shouldn't say like, Hey, editorial forced me to do something I didn't want to do in 26. I think he did it like as like decent of a job as he could have. If this was a last minute insert, you know, if he had known about this before his run started, he should have definitely made more out of Kamala Khan before setting himself up to be crucified like this. It does read to me of like, and also giving them credit that the Marvel's movie has been postponed a bunch of times. So like it could have been a hot potato, you know, that they were throwing around in there which then falls on someone like Zeb who then has to do the best he can to like try to sell it and sell his book. That's like the end of this big story he's doing. I think within the page of this comic, it's not a bad narrative switcheroo, you know, it's just surrounded by all the other stuff that makes it really gross and makes it kind of meaningless. But I do think like him incorporating her, catchphrase of good is not a thing you are it's a thing you do into her death like there's some nice narrative touches there that make me go like zeb wells isn't an idiot but it does seem like he's caught up in a storm outside of his making without me really knowing the full details behind it what are your thoughts you know on its face like you know he tries to write this in very like epic grand you know, a hero's death fashion, you know what I mean? And I think like, I think if the last five issues of this arc weren't so contentious in their own right, like even putting aside how Kamala has been integrated, like I think this would come closer to sticking the landing from like a sheer narrative standpoint. But like, you know, like we, we, we can't undo everything that's been happening, you know what I mean? Like, like, you know, like we can't undo what, what has already happened, but like, you know, like if, if this was like a one shot issue in the middle, you know, like, I don't know how you would explain why up in Rabin and all that, but like, I don't know. I feel like it would, it would, it would, it would, it would make a little more sense. You know, it would be like, I mean, look, they did it in brand new day. Right. But, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Even in that, even in that fashion, there is still some, like, I think deeply problematic, things that happen in this comic. I mean, you know, like again, you have you have your your signature person of color teen female character and like, you know, what how does she perish but by not only protecting the white woman but by becoming the white woman. <laughs> you know what I mean? To to you know, like it's it's like that's it's it's just problematic. There's no way like I you just and like it works in terms of like, how are we going to explain this? But like, because they had to explain it, that's, they had to do something problematic. You know what I mean? Like, and I, like, it's, it's not me making an excuse for it. Cause I don't think you can excuse it, but like, so that's why I can't like on the merits of it be like, Oh, he did a good job. I don't, it's like, this shouldn't, this shouldn't have been a job to be done. And he, and he did it and he did a job. I, I like, you know what I mean? Like I, 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 it just is what it is. Like, I don't, I don't think there are any, participation trophies I can give for how this was done and how it was executed. Cause I just feel like, no, and I, I want to yeah. make sure that I'm not coming off that way. Not even just to protect myself, just to be like honest in my criticism of it 
is like, if this were just like, this is standard superhero stuff. It's just the tone deafness around the Kamala Khan of it all. And the larger story that we've been experiencing makes it not standard superhero stuff in a way that, you know, you can really be content about that. But like, if I were reading this and it was any other comic, I would be like, Oh, what a nice little twist there at the end. You yeah. know, like, yeah, well, that's what I'm um, saying. Like, like, I think, I think yeah. that's why, like, I, I will not use the, the capital R racist in any of this. Like I, I, I you know, intent wise, I don't think that's where anyone was going, but like there needed to be, a lot more thought about this before they did it. And they clearly, if they it was Frogman, sure. But you know, like, like, you know, kill, kill that dumb right. guy. You right, know? Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Like I'm like, if this was, I'm, I'm trying to think of a, who's, who's a shape ship. Who's a male shapeshifter in Marvel. I'm just trying to think. Yeah. I don't know. I, that's actually interesting. Cause like, I almost said, mis- like I almost a, said mystique, but that's a woman. So like, then you're fridging, you're yeah. fridging a female, but like I, the, the fact of the matter is like, it, like if this is, a white male character doing this, like you would be like, Oh, okay. Like it seems very heroic. You know, like I, I don't like that. They had to kill another character cause they wanted juice sales on a future book, but like, Hey, they, you know, like, Hey, they, they did an admirable job here, but like, it's just wasn't. And it's, there, there was never, you know, it's, there was never a scenario where I feel they could have done this right. You know, like it's just, you know, and, and that's, this is what we got. So it is, you know, it, and and again, not, not to like, we use the word problematic and maybe we're not saying what is actually problematic. Like the reason it would be fine if it was a white male character is because white male characters don't have a history of being killed off in other people's books in order to further the plot for the main character of that book. And whereas women, especially women of color who don't have a lot of books of their own do have a history of this. And so it makes it even, even more problematic. Let's, let's, let's continue this criticism on to the Mary Jane, Peter, <laughs> Paul kids of it all, because not only does this like cut as insensitive in regards to like the Kamala Khan of it all, it also undermines, I think the story that, we had been getting thus far, I'll say this, like the whole value of the, this issue that I was coming into it with is like, I was hoping this issue would deliver on two things, the how, right? Like, how does this all work? Right. Did Zeb have a master plan where all the pieces fit together and the why, like, and not like, why did this happen? Why is this the story that we need to be reading right now, you know, like, especially given that this is a fairly painful story for the characters that we're experiencing and one that shakes up the status quo in a significant way. I needed to know that there was like a true artistic intent behind this to do something new with the characters for a particular reason. And I think this book has the how, right? Like we get, we find out like who Paul is, What's up with the kids? All, all of that stuff. But this book seems particularly not interested in the why. And I think that also is tied in with the death because like, I think we all went into this issue thinking MJ is going to die or there's going to be something with MJ. And the book does lean in that direction and then fake it out, you know, knowing that we were all thinking that. And it's not that I want MJ to die, but it's that like that might have 
been a moment for Zeb to make a statement or have that character have a noble death that says something about her or proves why he wanted to go this way. And the swerve to Kamala just says, nope, we're just doing this to do this, at least at this point. You know, what? What we don't know what's going to happen next. Here, I'm going to I'm going to bring it back. Then it feels like it's been attached with a rivet gun. <laughs> oh, we, oh, we had yeah. to get there. And yeah, it's jazz, yeah. Dan. It's jazz. That's the other part. But it's no, jazz. But ser- it's jazz. But, but, but seriously, like, I, you know, and again, I think part of it is due to the fact that we kind of had the narrative derailed by everything having to do with Miss Marvel. But like, like, I, I just feel like 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 you i i wanted to come away from this story thinking that okay like they 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 did this mystery box to start things up they they put these characters in a deeply unpopular and unhappy place in terms of both each other and with the larger fan base so like and we gave them the benefit of the doubt and went along with it too because we were enjoying it for the most part yeah. Yeah, because it's like yeah, I, I, I mean, for me at least, like I wanted to like, like even if not every like bow and button was tied and fastened by the end of the storyline, I wanted to feel like that the the journey that I had been on over the past year was earned. That the characters did things that made sense. That like I, I understood, like you said, not just the the how of everything, but the why of everything. You know, like why, why, why is MJ so deeply committed to? these to Paul and these children why what why why do these children exist beyond you know magic you know because that's what it is like I felt like the conclusion with the children was specifically so unsatisfying because it was just like you know Rabin being like yeah I made them to bind you and they kind of they, they they remind you of yourselves right well anyway goodbye you know and it was just like what like that's it. <laughs> you know, like that's all you got. You know, like I, I wanted a lot more than that. I mean, like this has been the central focus of this store of this comic for the, for the past year. And it, and it's just like, well, you know, they're, 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 they're just things I made up. Like that's, that's, am I, am I under selling it or, I mean, did you get more out of it than that? No. I mean, I, you know, like this is to say there could be some to come, right? Like there is mourning, like Mary Jane gets very angry. And then at the end, her and Paul embrace in a like sad realization of that. The kids are gone for me. It's not even like, like what's the machination of it, right? I figured the kids weren't real. I've been saying as much on the show, the, the why of it is like, why put MJ through this? Like, why do this to the character? You know, and it's not, MJ's not a real person, so I don't feel bad for her. But if it's just to like heap tragedy like uh, her way and put her through pain, I don't get it. Like, like say something about the character. Like, w- did the kids show up because MJ is uniquely a- empathic towards young people. Tell me anything about the character, why you took her on this journey, because right now it just seems like painful and traumatizing and ugly, frankly. And I won't go into the misogynist territory because I, I, I can't really judge that necessarily, but like, there is something icky about going like, Hey, what, like, what is this woman's greatest weakness? Oh, it would be forcing kids upon her um, and then snatching them away. I I just, 
in 2023, I, I, I don't know. Yeah, we need more than that. And then, and, and, but like to kind of go one further, I also feel like the why do this regarding Peter and MJ, like, you know, like I, I, I mean, like I am no stranger to the idea and, you know, have gotten myself in hot water on Twitter for it numerous times over the last few months that like, to me, Peter and MJ do not have to be together. But like, if you're going to split them apart, the, the why of it all does matter, in my opinion. Like, and, and I don't, yeah. I still don't feel we got the why here. Like, you know, like we have this. Even very, one more day had a why. Yeah. Yeah. But like, you know, and you could disagree with like, would Peter do that? But like, that's the other thing. Like Peter, Peter, you know, not not trying to sound misogynistic here, but Peter has no agency of his own here. It's just like these are just things that are happening to create drama and tragedy, and you know, and and like the 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 heart of it is not being communicated in these comics. I mean, like you know, like we we got this moment with Paul regarding his his lineage. The way I read it was this was supposed to be a very impactful moment you know like look he's he he's he feels guilt like you do peter you know what i mean like that was kind of the way i read it but I, it still doesn't explain what is this relationship because like you know we, we we still don't know is it truly romantic is it is it based on protecting these kids and now that these kids are gone what does this mean and i know yes we got comics to come on that i don't know if i'm supposed to believe or it's just the characters themselves believe it but you know, or maybe being a little naive about it, but like, am I really supposed to trust Paul? Because I still don't. I still think that there's things to happen here. Like, he's his he's linked to this psychopath. You know what I mean? Like, like, and isn't of this world. And I, you know what I mean? Like, and just conveniently happened to be in this world when when Peter and MJ were dragged there, and like earlier interactions with him in this comic were a little sketchy. I thought there was something sketchy going on there. You know what I mean? Like, I think I even said as much either with, it was either with you or with Alan. Yeah. I, I, I don't know that I am skeptical of Paul. I think he's being written like pretty generously. And I think this is kind of puts the like pin in it. Are there things to come with Paul? For sure. I think we're meant to trust him at, at, at this point. But here's the thing, like, like all of that could have really been solidified or made more emotional if this comic was about Paul and MJ. And it gets really close to being about them and their reaction to all of this. But again, the Kamala stuff is just, it's eating up page count that could have been spent on those characters. You know, this should have been the issue that's about you know, Peter shouts that line. I'm sure we'll get into this later. The like, you ruined my life. If this issue had all of that anger in it and came to some kind of realization on the level of I'm not pure, you know, this could have been a real home run. You know, Peter saying like, you took MJ from me. I've recovered, you know, and, and made something of myself in the wake of that, but you're going to pay for it. And MJ going, you know, you, like gave me a family and took it away, you know, you're going to pay for it. And it's about like two people, like, you know, having to like realize that their lives will be different or, or whatever. Like it's, but it's just not interested in any of that right yet. You know? And you joked in the intro, like we're moving on to a doc Ock story. I'm like, what we need is like an, all my past remembered after this, we need a long walk through central park of just people like 
emotionally figuring out what's going on with them. Like, and maybe we'll get that. I doubt it, but, but I just feel like, you know, you know, we've been get we've been getting a year worth of stories where, you know, because of the 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 structure of the mystery box, you know, we, we, we were never allowed to see all the cards. And the fact is we're now, you know, we now have the cards, but like I'm just kind of like, yeah, but these cards don't make sense. You it's not a it's not a you know, like you you, you did all this to show me what, like a two, a six, a seven, uh ace of clubs and a and a king? Like what is this? You know what I mean? Like I, I don't understand what this hand is. You know what I mean? Like it's just like so what what is my takeaway here? What is what is this book trying to say? Like, you know, yes, there's there is story to come and we got doc ock and maybe we'll have we're gonna i i I don't i think it's a certainty we're gonna get more with paul and more with mj and and what this all means and who knows maybe a year from now everyone is back together and it's happily ever after you don't know i i'm not gonna sit here and be like oh you see no one ever wants them to be together or for peter to be happy we don't know that but like at the same time like this is what the past year of comics have built to and it just like to me it just landed with such a solid thud because of the, the the way these three characters primarily and to a lesser extent because they don't really feel like characters despite the fact that they were an integral plot point but how the kids were treated here like it was just like i don't want to say it was an afterthought but like it it was severely underbaked and very unfamiliar like mj like you said earlier it's like we're just heaping heaping tragedy on her and it just like not that i want mj bouncing around making jokes and you know face it tigering all the time but like th- this character just feels so unfun to me you know what i mean like i, like, I i'm not enjoying her on the page like there's a part of me that would just like if you weren't gonna kill her maybe just write her out of the book for a while because like i don't like if this is if this is the mj we're gonna get i don't recognize this mj and it just feels so foreign to me like i i like you know like you could have them not be together and have her still be her who she is. And she hasn't been that character now for a year. And, you know, like this story didn't explain why. That's the bottom line. It did not explain why. I'm going to credit you with this because you put it really well when we were talking about this before we hopped on here, which is to say you said this was the opportunity for um, Zeb Wells to make his big statement about what he wants to say about all the characters in this, you know, Dan slot had within his first year, you know, no one dies and, and stories that were like really focused on like that element of Peter, like upgrading his, his abilities and, and putting him in the ranks of the top heroes in the Marvel universe, but also crippling with him, him with like, questions about his role in, in, in that superhero society and, and stuff like that by, you know, his own ethics code and, and stuff like that. And those are ideas that have really stuck with Dan Slott. I would, I would say even now, I I don't think in a good way, I think he can't move past that idea. You can identify that that's what Dan Slott is interested in about this character. And this was Deb, Zeb Wells, opportunity to do so and i don't know what he wants to say about these characters and i i got a chance to read this book a few days early i won't say how it's not marvel they're not sending me anything the leaks we got got the leaker that's it i'm the leaker yeah this is my way of saying it i condemn the leaks but secretly i'm the one doing it i i posted you know that i had read it and people in the slack asked you know what did you think you know like uh give us like a sentence 
with no spoilers. And I said, I'll give you two words. Last remains. I, I think it's th- this is a, an equivalent thing to that, which was Nick Spencer had a moment. He had his moment to nail the kindred thing. We were patient. And when we got to issue 50 and there was nothing, that's when you knew it was done. Like there, he had nothing to say, you know? And like, I think this is uh, a million times more coherent than the kindred thing, which ultimately revealed that Nick Spencer had nothing to say uh, with kindred, depending on however that worked out. And that's my real fear here. Uh, I have enjoyed this run immensely more than the Spencer run just on like a writing level. But I do fear that we're, we are in another run with nothing to say. I cannot say anything more to that, Dan. I mean, I know you're, 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 you're paraphrasing me. So, you know, like, there you go. <laughs> Perfect. But why don't we take a quick break to talk about the Slack and then talk about some more things that happened in it. Hundreds of listeners like you hang out in our community of Spider-Man fans on Slack. The amazing Spider-Slack community is absolutely free to join, and you can jump into active conversations with awesome people about collecting uh, conventions, movies, new comics, old comics, and more. Uh, Dan, I actually popped into the Slack uh, Wednesday night after I read the comic, and people were like, whoa, Mark's here. What do we do? And I'm like, oh, crap. Is it wrong that I'm here? But, but, But what else has been going on in the Slack this week? I mean, look, this is the week that one of the most controversial Amazing Spider-Man comics in years has come out, but also just all of the celebration around Across the Spider-Verse's release. So, you know, this issue kind of got like swept under the rug fairly quickly for our Slack in, in, in just kind of pure joy about that film. People, you know, telling their stories about how they saw it, what they th- thought of it. I have been uh, you know, doing my Easter egg hunt, which, you know, if you're listening to this, uh, that means that my article is now live on the Hollywood Reporter, where I found over 100 Easter eggs in Across the Spider-Verse and wrote the like over 1500 words about it and nearly killed myself. So, you know, the Slack actually like kind of helped me a little bit with uh, solidifying some of my finds there. So um, that's been fun. You know, if you're hyped up about Across the Spider-Verse, you want to have some fun talking about it and criticizing it too. I have my problems with the film. The Slack is a safe place for you to do so. So anyway, you can join in on the fun. Come join our amazing Slack. If you look in the description to this episode, you'll see a link that'll let you sign up in less than a minute. Come on in, announce your presence uh, like Mark, and we'll all celebrate your arrival. Yeah, that's the amazing spider Slack. There we go. All right. Let's uh, get back to our our comic conversation here. I, I want to talk a little bit about Rabin here, Dan, because like I I, I got to be honest, like I I from the get go when when this story first started happening, I mean we knew that uh, Rabin was from you know first introduced by Zeb Wells uh, back during the Brand New Day era, and like you know we were all like we got to read these issues again, and it was kind of like okay, and I and I reread the issues, and I also reread my my commentary about those issues on Chasing Amazing at the time, and I was kind of like yeah, I don't really like this character all that much. <laughs> Too much mystical mumbo jumbo. Seems very one note, a uh, little little unimaginative. So like for me, I got to be honest. Like from the get go, I felt that there were inherent risks of Wells using one of his own creations, who wasn't really I feel like, like overwhelmingly received, like, oh, you know, like, 
you know, like hell, we, we, we talk on this show and I've heard other people say like during the brand new day run, like, when are we going to see more paper doll? That was the Dan slot villain that was created during that run. And, and, you know, I don't, I never heard anyone say we need more Rabin, you know, like it's just, it just didn't happen. <laughs> you know, like I felt, especially in this issue, because I mean, this really was all about him and the conclusion. And like you said, Peter yelling at him, you ruined my life. It was like, all right, let's like, where, where's the drama with this character? And, and it, it just fell so flat for me. He felt, he just feels so uninteresting to me. Like I, I, I still, again, don't quite get the why from a deeper, a deeper emotional level for this character. He just, it's, it's, you know, very heightened hyperbolic language, you know, on the, on the road of death. And it's, it's to me, like, I got to be honest, it's kind of cringy, like hearing this character, you know, or I shouldn't say hearing, but reading what this character is saying, he's not very intelligent because he apparently has these powers to apparate out of thin air and just put a blade through a character. And he could have just done that how many times in this comic? And he doesn't. <laughs> it's like, you know, I feel like Scott Evil, like, just shoot him, you know, like, like, what are you doing? Like, like what are you waiting for? Peter is confronting this character, you know, like, like these, these vicious words of, of personal animosity. And he doesn't even really lead the attack on him. Like MJ does. Like Peter goes off to like, deal with that dragon you know what i mean like like it's like like where is like where's the bloodlust here from peter like 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 this should have been like you know like we saw him want to cremate the the sin eater you know <laughs> during that storyline like where is it here it's just not there and, and the fact of the matter is it's not there because this character this villain has not been built up to a level of a norman osborne or an otto or a venom he's, he's just kind of a guy that zeb brings back and i i just don't feel it i don't feel it and it was a letdown and this comic didn't sell it for me i think rabin is largely forgotten in that original story mainly because the thing that's remembered about that story is the creative team, you know, behind it and taking like kind of bold swings with the art style and storytelling methods. I think he's handled much better in that story. There's a sort of like you're talking about it's kind of high minded talking and it's kind of like cartoonish God talk, you know, like nonsense. And I think the first story plays with that in a humorous way by having kind of street level Spider-Man and the literal homeless people fighting him off. And so you get that good kind of contrast of like this fire Lord esque being that Spider-Man probably shouldn't be fighting, you know, coming into contact with like streetwise New Yorkers, you know, who literally throw bottles of flaming alcohol at him. And like, you know, here I think he's going for a kind of a similar thing you know spider-man i i found it satisfying watching spider-man like take a parking meter to the guy's head you know like that that to me was very you know god versus new york city infrastructure watching him get run over by a subway would probably be even more satisfying you know but like, i i can't say it's not there but i but i understand your criticism um for me i'm kind of okay with it because I think most villains in comics aren't really compelling for their personal drama. Every once in a while you get one that does, but like even Moreland, his story is like one of our favorites of all time, but he's not really that interesting. He's just kind of an unstoppable force. And it's really about how the character provokes our characters to action in that regard. Rabin has functioned fairly well, but the ending here is what 
undoes it is that like the ending provokes them to do not really much of anything. It falls flat. It's because the emotions and actions he provokes aren't interesting. Like Moreland is interesting for how Spider-Man responds, including how he beats him, you know, injecting himself with radiation and, and killing him off. Like that's a statement about Peter here. The defeat of, of Rabin isn't a statement about anybody, I guess, other than the sacrifice of Kamala Khan. Yeah. You know, like, and so therefore it's utterly uninteresting. Yeah. It's not really a problem with Rabin himself more than like, the reaction is not interesting. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, I think the Moreland comparison is interesting. You know, I, I yeah, but like you said, like, you know, what what Moreland provokes out of Peter in that story, it, you know, and like we see it with like the Juggernaut and Fire Lord and, and other classic, like, you know, Peter against the unstoppable force. You know, like he he's, you know, throws everything in the kitchen sink and can't win. So he has to like both outsmart, but also, you know, potentially sacrifice himself to win. And we just don't, you know, like, first of all, we're being kind of pivots in this in this arc from Peter to MJ. But like, even then it's like, okay, so he wants to kill MJ. He's She is the love of your life, even if you're not with her right now. What is Peter doing to throw it all on the line to save MJ? And the answer is, Kamala, can you help me? You know what I mean? Or excuse me, Miss Marvel, can you know you you take MJ while I go deal with this? Like it, it it's it's just stunning to me, like how little you know. Despite that one line, and yeah, like seeing him whack him with a parking meter was fun, but like then that was it. And like, we could have done a lot more to really sell this all and, and move this villain into the upper echelon, because that's the thing. You could say Moreland is uninteresting, but the fact is Moreland showing up mostly, except when Dan Sot just kind of uses him and reuses him and reuses him, felt like for a while, like an event, like Moreland was kind of like Venom in his own right. I don't think he was as popular as Venom, but like I would, in in peak Moreland days, I would say Moore, Moreland was a very scintillating villain to show up in a comic, even if he himself was, you would buy a comic with Moreland on the cover, despite the fact that I don't think he was really ever on the cover. Correct. Because I knew like it was going to be very big stuff happening and that Peter was going to be in major trouble. You know what I mean? Like, and that he would have to put a lot on the line to win. That's all I want to say about Rabin. I just feel like we could have said, we could have done a lot more with this character. We didn't. I hope he has been mothballed for eternity now. I do not need to see him again. <laughs> like, like he and he and Rec Rap. I, I'd rather see Rec Rap than Moreland right now. So, you know. yeah, yeah, uh, or both than Rabin. You mean? Although, frankly, I don't need to see Moreland ever again. Well, personally. yeah, like I said, um, we've we've gotten yeah. a little too much of Moreland too. So, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, the, I think the bottom line of this is like you don't employ a line like "you ruined my life" mm-hmm. and then not have. Peter get the win and have the guy die on a technicality. Like it's just deeply unsatisfying. So let's talk about like, we talked a lot about the writing here. Let's talk about the art and editorial. what do you think about this issue? Yeah. Cause I think they're related. I mean, like I know you, I think you disagreed with me on this, but like, I, I did not think this was one of John Romita Jr.'s stronger entries on this series. Like it, a lot of it felt rushed. I felt like some of the, the human characterizations visually were were vaguely or poorly executed like you know like we we had you know like i kind of joked about paul looking you know deeply annoyed by the kids disappearing like 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 where was like i just didn't see emotion on the characters faces the way you would expect given what was happening on the page 
And you can say like, even, even in some of the action sequences, I mean, like, you know, going back to the, our favorite arc, probably, I think of this comic so far, the tombstone one, you know, you had like Peter kind of bleeding through the mask and like, you know, just the, the, the savageness of that, like really sold Peter's like, just like kind of feral nature trying to, 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 to get through the situation here. And I just don't feel like even in the action sequences, any of that came across, like there were some cool pages overall, but it just felt rushed. Again, like, I mean, I can't even blame the two week schedule because both of these comics were three weeks. But like either way, I just feel like is is the schedule of this book just overwhelming an artist of J.R.J.R. stature, especially when he's got to do like double sized issues. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think that's that's something to be said. So that's that's the first part of it. I don't know. Do you want to chime in before we talk about some of the clear editorial sloppiness going on here? I mean, I think your characterization of J.R.J.R. and Scott Hanna's work is fair. You know, like, I think there's some nice touches here. Like, I, like, as much as I have not loved, you know, the writing of the MJ stuff, like, seeing her react to the death of the kids and her eyes become, like, little pinpoint dots and her hair kind of stand on end was nice. And I thought some of the quieter moments towards the end of the book were nice. I mean, say what you will about the death of Kamala. I think that page at the end is appropriately somber, you know, like kind of beautifully rendered, you know, and, and the kind of moments of Paul and MJ comforting each other. I will say JRGR actually draws a cool Miss Marvel in costume, but he just still can't draw Kamala out of costume. Like you've got Marvel's signature Muslim character that has a very particular defined look and you kind of need to nail that. Like, so I like I, I don't understand what the disconnect there is. I maybe he seems to think she's older than she is. She looks like she's in her mid twenties at, at the very least. So I don't think it's his best. I do think that there's some cool action stuff on the page, but it does seem much more rushed. And I think the inks are are a part of that. Is they seem sloppier than the more defined, like really like uh, precise stuff that we have been getting even in the issues of this of this particular arc leading up to this. So, but not nothing has come close to that tombstone arc at the start. No. So let, let so let's talk about the the editorial mishap with this book as it relates to the visualization. So like I joked about it in the recap that uh, in the flashback sequence where where Paul is revealing his lineage to Rabin, he punches Peter so hard his his hoodie changes color. Um and and, and you know, like like someone even like confronted, or I don't know if you want to say confronted, but asked Marcio Menez about this on on Twitter, and he was like, "Oh, that actually wasn't my page. Like it was Eric Arseniega who who colored it." And clearly, uh, editorial didn't, uh, you know, th- there was no copy editing going or or editing going on here. And like we see this all the time on this book, Dan. I mean, like like. You know, typos in in the recap pages, you know, like see issue, whatever, and it's the wrong issue or, or, you know, like we still can't spell. The amount of time that's passed is incorrect. Yeah, Yeah. you know, we still can't spell Liz Allen's name right. I mean, you know what I mean? Like it's just it's just on and on and on. And look, like I think the people that go into Nick Lowe's mentions on Twitter, and we've said this before, this is totally consistent. People who go into Nick Lowe's mentions on Twitter and insult him and call him every name under the sun and tell him that his book is ass and whatever. Like, like just, you're deplorable. Like you just are, you're like, like just go away. You know, like, like we don't need that. Like that does not help the discourse, but I think it is 100% fair game to judge 
this man as an editor when it comes to stuff like this. And the fact of the matter is he just does not do a good job. Like, like you know, like he might be a company man, the best, hi- he, he, you know, like I don't even, I don't even fault him for like the hype man stuff that he does because I feel like that's part of the job too. He's got to hype the product. You know, you, could, you can kind of roll your eyes when he says that this is the most traumatizing issue ever or that this is the greatest comic since Amazing Spider-Man number one. Which was okay, um, but I also made the joke that I also made the joke that Nick Lowe probably would have been the editor who would have had Peter Palmer in a book mistakenly. You know what I mean? Because that's what he does. He, he, it, yeah. this, it, it's he like the editorial oversight of this book for years now, and it's going on ten years that he's been on this book has just been like it's just bottom of the barrel stuff. It's got to be better. This is your flagship book, Marvel. You're doing it twice a month. You have like like did. And, and the fact that they have not corrected this either indicates that they value the, I, I think it's a combination of things. Um, at the end of the day, I think that they value the fact that Nick Lowe is someone that will go out and rep the product and, and, and take the abuse and, you know, take even the abuse from people like us who aren't insulting him personally, but saying he's not doing a good job doing the editing thing because, you know, at the end of the day, Marvel's still selling the same number of comics that they need to sell to keep the book at the top of the charts. And 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 he's the guy overseeing it. So like, yay, you know, like if he's willing to eat poop and, and do all this, then Nick Lowe's going to be the guy. And, and it's just so immensely frustrating because, again, I, I, he's a good guy. I don't want to wish anyone I, I would never want to project anyone whether they should have a job or not. But like, I would love to see this book better edited so we don't see sloppy things like we can't even color Peter's um, hoodie consistently from issue to issue. So that's, that's all I got. <laughs> it's a bummer. I mean, like it, I, I do like, I, I agree with you on all, all accounts there, you know, I, I, and I do think there are things that like Nick Lowe's brought to the book that like, maybe we don't acknowledge enough, like the incredible level of art talent that this book has seen over the past 10 years, you know, like is in no small part, because of Nick Lowe's ability to make those schedules work and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But the, it, the, something like this is obvious. And if you know anything about how coloring works, you know, having, look, it's dumb to be talking about this shirt changing color, but like we shouldn't have to in, in Marvel's top book, you know? And like, if you know anything about coloring, all that would need to be changed are the flats on that. Like Eric Arseniega's, shading and all that stuff looks completely the same as Marcia Menezes. Like it fits in like a glove. Just have him change the color in the flats. How hard could that be? But the thing that it needs is someone to spot that or give Eric Arseniega better reference material or whatever it is that was the like kink in the chain that made that problem appear, you know, and all of these problems appear. I just don't know, like, are people even able to look at these things before they head out the door? It, it is truly bizarre. A, a one-off is one thing. A pattern is something else entirely. So, Mark, do you have any final thoughts before we get to a grade of a book like this? You bringing up Last Remains and, you know, we could also kind of talk a little bit about Sinister War and and the, and I don't even remember what the storyline was called after Sinister War. Those final two issues of Amazing Spider-Man, where all this stuff came out, we were just like, "What?" <laughs> yeah. I think like, they were still technically Sinister War. I I, I don't even know. Yeah, but the but the point is, like, I think there there are some app comparisons in that. I think thematically, the the 
like you said, the 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 thesis of what what these runs is about is just get is getting very muddied by presumably editorial interference. Um, maybe it's even corporate interference at this point, you know, kind of one level, I would refer that as one level higher than editorial, but I have no insider knowledge of that. And, and, and I think as a result, it's just like, it's, it's making this book such a frustrating experience. Like, like it's making the moments of, of joy that I associate with Spider-Man just kind of like harder to find. Like, it's not to say that the book is utterly joyless. Like that's, that's, I, I, I think there was a part of me that was thinking that initially, and I'm, I'm I'm kind of pulling back because I do think that there are moments of joy even within this comic, but like overall, like the book is just missing something right now. And, and I don't understand why this is so hard. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's Spider-Man. Spider-Man is the friendly neighborhood guy. Give him some wins, you know, like make, he's got a great supporting cast give them some wins. You know what I mean? Like, like, it, it, you know, like it doesn't have to be that everyone has a happy ending, but it's like, I, I, the, the, the tone of this book from the Spencer run on has just been so unrecognizable to me, you know, like I, I, you know, like say what you will about Dan Slott and the fact that Dan Slott keeps coming back like a, like a, like a coin. I don't want to say an unlucky penny because that's mean, but like, you know, now he's writing superior Spider-Man again, apparently. Uh, we don't know what that means, but you know, like Dan Slott just keeps coming back, even though he said he was gone. And, but at the same time, like the book just felt brighter and, and lighter and more, I don't want to say focused, but like it understood at least the, the lighter aspects of who Spider-Man was. And like, we just like, I, I don't, feel like Spencer got it. I don't feel like, like beyond was just like all over the place because you had all these different writers and I don't think anybody wanted to try and tie that together in any kind of meaningful way. Again, you know, maybe because of editorial and the person managing the whole thing, Uh, you know, like this arc at least kind of left me in a really sour place with Wells in terms of like, does he, does he want to capture that that spirit of Spider-Man or is he just more interested on in like turning the screw of, of tragedy on the character? Because like, to me, it's gotta be more than that. And I haven't seen that. I didn't see that here. And that's disappointing for me. Well, I think that's a great last word on, on this book. So let's move on to our grades. Mark, since you did all that lifting there with the final word, I'll, I'll come in for a save here. I don't think this is like, the final two issues of Nick Spencer's run bad. Like I think the, the moment to moment writing in this book, there are still, like you said, joys to be found. Like I love when Mr. Fantastic had a weird hand symbol that let them destroy that, you know, Quetzalcoatl. And, you know, I like that the Fantastic Four show up and they're like, no, we're your friends. We trust you. And, you know, I like the moments of Peter acknowledging like that, like MJ saved his life and he's willing to do the same. Like I still recognize these characters. I know the book is interested and can do this absent and hopefully absent all this nonsense that that this issue brings up. I'm giving it a D minus. This is, this is stunning, Dan. Like you, you, because like, I'm like all like braced to be like, Oh man, I'm going to be so much like more sour than Dan. Like I was, I want to give it a D. <laughs> so I'm a great. All right. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I mean, look, I, 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 I'm in that territory too. D, D minus. Yeah. I'm going to, I'll say I'm a D as well. Let's, 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 let's be together. On this. Um, like, no, I wasn't like, I don't think that this is a failure by any stretch, but like, you know, given that we were giving earlier comics in this run, A's and A minuses, the fact that this ended with a D like this is, you know, as frustrating as an end as this as the first superior book was and you know we can famously talk about how like we were kind of off from each other on the the penultimate issue and then we kind of all came around on the last one but the fact is like like this is this is this might be one of the most let down i've ever been at the end of a major arc for spider-man because it's just like i you know and like I, I wanted it to be so much better than this. And, but at the end of the day, was it a failure? No, it wasn't a failure, but a D I think is a fair grade to give it. I don't think this is the worst issue of this run by a mile. I think it's the most frustrating issue of this run because it, it, it not on its own, but also as a pattern of Nick Lowe editorially driven uh, Spider-Man comics, having long simmering mysteries with really disappointing endings. You can say Superior's ending. You could say Spider-Verse's ending. You could say um, the entire Nick Spencer runs ending. Like they've all been, and people would disagree with us on this, but from my perspective, they've all ended without paying off the promise of, of the stories. Yeah. I feel like, I mean, not to, not to go down memory lane here, but I feel like the only landing that ever got stuck was the end of the dance lot run. Yes, I I agree with that. But like, it's yeah, the pattern otherwise like that, that is the exception to the rule right now. And it's just like, like you said, we have so much artistic talent and I think we've had a lot of writing talent. Like, I, prior to Amazing Spider-Man, liked a lot of Nick Spencer comics. I loved a lot of Nick Spencer comics. I have loved a lot of Zeb Wells comics. So what is what is the disconnect here? And why can't, you know, like there are other creators that are kind of, you know, dancing around the fact that they don't want to do Spider-Man. And like, why not? You know what I mean? Like, like so what dancing is Dancing around it, Chip Zdarsky is very clear yes. on, on why he doesn't want to do it. Yeah, so. yeah. But like, that's the thing. It's like, what is happening here? You know what I mean? Like this is, this shouldn't be that hard. And you know, like there's a part of me, I'm going to do it. I wasn't going to do it this whole episode for all you succession fans. Out there, I have, <laughs> do it, do it, Mark. I have, I have this working theory. It's based on absolutely nothing, but that, you know, ultimately Nick Lowe is the, the Tom Wompskans of, the Marvel universe where, you know, for, for those who follow succession, Tom is, is Shiv's husband. He, you know, like, you know, spoiler alert, he, he wins basically the end of succession and he wins because he is the quote unquote pain sponge who is willing to just take abuse and be humiliated and be degraded, but he's a company guy and he does the right thing. And I think that's what Nick Lowe is at the end of the day. I think he's, you know, I don't, I don't think he's as deplorable of a person as Tom is, but I think he's, you know, I think he's a decent guy, but like, he just says, yes, I'll do it. I don't care if it comes back on me to whatever the higher powers at Marvel want him to do. And, you know, because I feel like this trend has, has started since Nick took over and, you know, it's, it's like as, as frustrating as one more day was, I don't feel like we've had this many, like, like letdowns following what you know, since Lowe took over. It's, it's just a bottom line. Like it's just, it just feels like one 
like banana peel after the other here. And it's just like, come on, you know, like, and I don't think it's, I, I guess what I'm saying it's like, it's not that it's, um, it's not that I'm absolving him of it, but I just feel like he, he is in a position to not be an active agent of change for this comic. Well, I also think if you want to change that, some of the actions that we're seeing like actively counter it, right? Like, so if this book had come out normally and people reacted to it, I feel like the, the reaction, the earned reaction to this book directed at Nick Lowe and his team would have been really earned. But then when you get something like a leak, suddenly that's a deflection. Like people weren't reading it in full context or, you know, like it got out of our hands in some way, you know? So like, that's not actually helping, you know, if, if your intent is to change the people on this book, if you are on Twitter every day attacking Nick Lowe, it makes a really easy scapegoat, you know, to say like, look how insane all the criticism is of this. Like these people are unhinged and many of them are, um, they spend their entire lives just on Twitter attacking current Spider-Man people. That's not helping either because it creates a really easy way to say, look how crazy these people are. Like you're creating a shield for this team inadvertently. And that's not to say don't offer criticism. Like we do criticism, you know, and look, uh, far be it for me to like prop myself up above others. But like, I don't, I, I think people are more likely to listen to, Mark and I saying this, then they are to listen to you with all of your, you know, hashtag replace Nick Lowe's or whatever it is you have going on. Like that is not going to get through. It is only going to make them more stalwart because you are easily laughed at. Anyway, that's my final two cents on this. All right. Why don't we take it home, Dan? Sure. <laughs> it's that time. Time for all good things to come to an end. We did good, Dan. So we I, I wanna... do feel like we did good. I do feel like we did good. <laughs> so yeah. we want to say thank you to you, the listeners and viewers, for tuning into this episode of The Amazing Spider Talk. Yeah, this podcast exists because of listener support on the Patreon. For only $3.99 a month, and I'll say there's a seven-day free trial that's up now. You can help support our show's existence while getting early episodes, including these reviews the same week the comics release, exclusive artwork, and a ton of other bonuses. Thank you to everyone who already supports us and the work that we do. Plus, I wanted to issue a special thank you and welcome our newest patrons, BVIS The Nerd and Indy Rawson. So thank you guys for, uh, for joining us on here. We sure that's not Beavis the Nerd, or is it uh, anyway? <laughs> it might be Beavis the Nerd, but uh, I, 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 I went I the safe route. I hope it is. That's how I. I'm, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, so to download some of our earliest episodes, including interviews with legendary creators like J.M. Demetrius, Tom DeFalco, Ron Friends, Mark Bagley, and many, many more, subscribe to our Amazing Spider Talk Back Issues podcast on Apple Podcasts. This podcast was edited by Rick Coast. The video version of the show is available on YouTube and was edited by Alex DeLucky. Our artwork comes handcrafted by artists Ron Friend, Sal Busema, Ray Sumzer, Josh Sutton, and Nick Cagnetti. Our theme songs were produced by Ryland Bojack, Tony Thaxton, and Spider-Madge. And our animated intro was created and performed by Josh Sutton. So, Mark, until your son begins leaking our episodes early in order to undermine our podcast, what's our motto? With great podcasts, there must also come the amazing spider talk. Don't, don't miss-
John, you're grounded. <laughs> <laughs> you would totally do that too. Uh, 